everyone, and welcome to Creating Value Beyond the Deal. This is Jeff Chavez. Thanks for being here. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Jeff Chavez, your host, and this is Creating Value Beyond the Deal, episode number three. Today, we have uh, a special guest, Rocky Vienna. Rocky is the Director of Security for Cross Lake Technologies, and the topic today will be around security, how to think about security, best practices, et cetera. So a little intro and background on Rocky. Uh, Rocky is a technology and operations executive, and he's held roles such as VP of technology, CIO, and COO. He has over 25 years of Silicon Valley experience and holds deep expertise in enterprise strategic planning and program management, governance and compliance, global IT operations, M&A integration, and new product introduction. He's led global enterprise initiatives at an impressive array of Fortune 100s, startups, and medium, fast-growing companies in the healthcare, technology, financial, services, retail, and digital publishing space. So, Rocky, that was a, that was a tongue twister, but uh, really great to have you here, and uh, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So I would love for you, Rocky, to give, um, you know, I know I gave a high level on your background here, but would love for you to kind of fill in any gaps I missed on your background, a little bit about you, where you're from, et cetera, and, and why you do what you do. And then uh, we'll get into we'll get into the questions. Great. So, um, yeah, so I started my career up in Silicon Valley um, at Bank of America um, and kind of started uh, in the security space fairly quickly on. Um, I was the director of private banking systems um, um, for uh, global private banking offices for for the bank, and, uh, and you know once you get overseas uh, into Europe, um, especially in, in countries like Switzerland and Luxembourg, you very quickly learn about the transborder data flow um, security regulations. Even even back then, um, so that's uh, where I cut my teeth on on security um, around international securities processing systems. For the bank, um, spent some time at Apple Computer after that, and, and Coca Cola, all in IT operations, um, and then some startups in Silicon Valley as well. Um, my uh, primary focus of my career has been IT ops, um, data center operations, and of course, uh, you know, network security and, and uh, hardening servers and um, and mobile devices is all part of that. Very cool, very cool. Thank you, Rocky, for that. And so, obviously. The last year with the pandemic, uh, all of us or most of us have been forced to, to work from home uh, and, and also with the recent uh, security breaches, to name a few, SolarWinds and Microsoft, um, security has been a, a huge topic for companies on, on thinking how to optimize either their current security program or how to, you know, even if they don't have a security, how to build one properly. So, um, you know, you being a security expert, uh, want to get into the your head and 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 and, and help cr- share some some knowledge and wisdom to our listeners um, on how they could potentially optimize their security and 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 potentially give a few takeaways that they can uh, use to optimize today. So, the first question here for you, Rocky, is. You know what? What are what are the biggest challenges CISOs and CTOs face today when it comes to security, and and what are some of the common freak, uh, some common and frequent pain points you're you're seeing in the market? Sure. So you know, I think the big biggest challenge for for all companies is the you know the ever changing landscape of the security threats them, themselves. So new threats are identified every day. Um, so that's why um, there's such a a great boon in in uh, Companies that focus on uh, 
managing security or creating um, tools uh, uh, for companies to, to manage uh, the, the security threats that they see. Um, but you know, beyond that, you know, a, a lot of um, a, lo- a lot of it depends on the company itself. You know, the industry that they are in, um, how mature the company is in terms of managing its internal processes. Um, for instance, some industries like healthcare, uh, f- uh, finance, education, they all have very significant regulatory compliance responsibilities. You know, around the protection of of what's called personally identifiable information, or PII, or in the case of healthcare, um, PHI, or, or uh, uh, personal um, health uh, information. Uh, another challenge that you know, frankly, I think is kind of shrinking is is the awareness of of importance of security and of being baked into the the culture of a company. Mm-hmm. It used to be very difficult to you know um, convince a the IT director or the CIO or CTO to, to hire a, a person that whose sole responsibility was, uh, was security. It very often kind of fell on the CTO or VP of engineering to kind of take care of things. Um, and, uh, and that, and that uh, awareness uh, of the importance of having that one individual responsible mm-hmm. for the program, mm-hmm. I think is, is, uh, is shrinking as and people are, are beginning to understand that is pretty important. Um, and, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, the awareness, which is now kind of at the board of directors level. Um, and, you know, if you have someone on the board that is raising their hand and asking, uh, you know, what what are you doing about security? It, it uh, has a tendency to get more attention. Um, it also helps to inform the budget and management focus, you know, around mm-hmm. enforcing, you know, really sound security practices and that also changes the corporate culture accordingly too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other challenges you're saying? Um, you know, cultural change. Um, the cultural change when you implement a security program shouldn't be implemented. Um, you know, for instance, uh, early stage technology enabled companies may have very loose rules uh, regarding, you know, say a developer's, a software developer's broad access to production code or to databases, you know, the entire team may have access. Um, so enforcing access controls, you know, that limit that access and thereby reduces the risk of, of breach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a cultural change that has to be considered. All of a sudden, your programmers don't have access to you know everything they they had before, and and they you know they they feel it it. it uh, affects their productivity and and you know, maybe it does um, and it very likely does but it also creates a, a, a better a more hardened shell around your production systems so with that it sounds like from what you're saying maybe less mature companies smaller companies have a more lax security uh, culture um, you know I guess the question there to add on to that or what are some things that you know say a company in that boat could do to Maybe optimize their their access controls or or or, or support in, in in really strengthening the the area there. Yeah, it kind of all starts with uh, kind of some baseline policies regarding security, and you know, I think everyone kind of can easily relate to um, password uh, um, uh, control. Uh, everyone uh, you know understands that a strong password is important, and you know 
even non-technologists understand the importance of of, uh, of good password management. Um, so that's honestly one of the first policies that that uh, you would consider writing if you're mm-hmm. starting a security program is to make sure that your passwords are you know uh, at least twelve characters, a mix of alpha and, uh, and numerics and special characters, and that you have them changed every ninety days or so. You know, so implementing that writing that policy is one thing, but you have to also implement. Um, the uh, the enforcement of that policy as well. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's always a good place to start is uh, mm-hmm. around access controls and and uh, um, password policies, acceptable use policies. Um, there's about a, a ten or so that I, I would recommend companies start with. You said there's ten or so policy that you recommend companies start with. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know um, don't you know really want to to list them all out here, but. Uh, for another um, conversation. Yeah. So, but you know, um, again, um, password controls, acceptable use policies, um, uh, mobile device management policies, mm-hmm. um, obviously security training, um, ensuring that you're, you, you have an awareness program in place uh, mm-hmm. and uh, vulnerability testing and, and, and things like that are kind of uh, table stakes when it comes to, uh, to beginning a security program. Sure. Sure. So that, that brings a good, you know, so it just popped to my mind. So obviously there's a difference between a, obviously a less mature, smaller organization when it comes to security practice, but then there's a lot of companies that are more mature in, in their security practices. But in general, um, everyone, you know, ideally wants to continue to optimize their security practices. So I guess the question here, um, you know, I guess what's the biggest difference you see from, you know, a less mature, smaller company in their in, in the challenges they face compared to say a, a big enterprise organization and the security challenges they face. Well, you know, a lot of it gets back to the industry that they're in, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the industry that they're in can be a, a a highly regulated industry like healthcare or fintech. But um, companies that that uh, other companies that uh, have a a what we call in kind of a um, a high threat risk would be a e-commerce company. Um, mm-hmm. You're constantly exposed to uh, to the internet uh, for commerce. Um, you have uh, credit card uh, transactions on your platform, um, so those are are very likely targets. Um, so uh, uh, some of it is you know size of company, mm-hmm. uh, but you can be a very small company. You can be a company of ten people. With an e-commerce platform, and and that does not reduce your risk at all. So a lot of it really depends on the industry that you're in as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you're working in an organization, what are some of the first questions you ask companies when trying to assess the strength of their security? So you know, one, one of the first things we want to do is to kind of measure the security controls, you know, at, at the current moment in time, right? So. Uh, we we have a um, a very short survey that we use uh, based on 20 security controls, and, and these controls are based on a framework that was created by the the National Institute of Standards and Technology, um, also known as NIST. So you NIST. may mm-hmm. you may uh, have heard about NIST controls or Center for Information Security controls. So the, the, these are 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 kind of uh, very similar frameworks um, that uh, that we use to measure you know, whether or not a control is in place. But we also want to measure 
kind of the maturity of that control, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, for instance, have a have a policy on passwords, and mm-hmm. that would give you a very basic level of maturity. Um, if you have, say, an automated self-service ability for um, your employees to change their passwords um, or require them to change your passwords, that's a, a little bit uh, more maturity, right? So, um, so we would want to measure the, the maturity of each of those controls. Mm-hmm. And, and that would give us kind of a heat map in terms of, you know, where is the risk? Um, so we would look at the controls that, that are less mature um, and try to strengthen those controls first. So using the NIST framework to help guide the proper areas to focus on. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the the NIST framework, um, boy, I think it has like 18 families of controls and over 900 controls. So we wouldn't, you know, wish implementing that entire framework on anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why um, the, uh, that's why we focus on the the 20 controls. Um, they, They are mapped to NIST. And they're considered, you know, pretty much the the most important controls that you can start with. Yeah. So you said there's 20 of those? 20 of those, yeah. Got it. And for those who have never heard of NIST, or and I'm assuming most of our technology leaders listening, but uh, maybe some uh, of our other listeners who haven't been or not too familiar with this, like what are maybe three areas that the NIST focus on or three questions that it, it, it directs us to? Well, some of the the most basic controls are around, um, we already mentioned uh, uh, password policies, Mm -hmm, acceptable mm -hmm. use policies. Another one is asset management. Um, So knowing um, an an asset in this case is a a computer mobile device, could be a server, could be a firewall, it could be a laptop or, or a desktop, could be a a phone or a uh, or, or a uh, a template um, a tablet. Um, so knowing knowing those devices um, that you know uh, those devices that are on your network is very important. So you you want to be able to control you know who can be on your network and who shouldn't be on your network. So that's but that's why we have logins. So uh, understanding those assets and being able to identify those assets um, and manage those assets. Um, is is very important. Um, so that that's another it's another primary control um, for for NIST and and one of the twenty um, security controls that we look at. Sure. In terms of you know when you're when you're working with customers who are trying to optimize uh, their security or optimize their security practices, what are some of the mistakes that you see you know companies consistently making or maybe some some big mistakes that you, you've seen in, in, in your experience? Uh, I think there's two primary ones. Um, one, I think, is you know thinking that a good security program is just a set of policies that you do once and you put them on mm-hmm. the shelf and now you're mm-hmm. done. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe you have a monitoring tool or you're reading some you know network logs um, and that's good enough. Um, and, and it's not. So the policy is only as good as a piece of paper that it's written on. What's mm-hmm. important is, are the processes and procedures that um, that are put in place um, to uh, to honor that policy. Um, so that's that's uh, um, I think a, a common mistake is kind of underestimating um, the you know when you're done with a 
with a with a control. You know, you're done with the control when you've written the policy, it's reviewed every year, there's a process and procedure in place, and you're actually collecting evidence that uh, that, that uh, control is working. Um, I'll use a, an example of change management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can have a policy around change management, but unless you uh, work with the, say, the, the VP of engineering, um, to ensure that every change that happens in the production environment is documented um, and you have that documentation um, before the change is made, um, then, you're, then you're not quite done yet. You have to be able to kind of audit that process. Um, so we talk about um, we talk about evidence um, from an audit point of view. Mm-hmm. And this happens also in, in the areas of compliance. Mm-hmm. So for credit card processing, there is a payment card industry um, compliance PCI, PCI. Um, mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, you either you know, for a small number of transactions you can self-assess. If you if you do a lot of credit card transactions, you actually have to have a qualified um, auditor um, uh, assess you and 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 uh, give you a certification that your controls are in place, and they will look for evidence that your controls are in place. Um, so that's uh, that's really important. Um, is that that whole kind of life cycle of policy is written, it is reviewed once a year. There's processes in place um, to support that policy, and then you've also created evidence that you can show to an auditor that 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 control is indeed working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the other area um, I think um, that is underestimated is is the cultural change required. Um, so I, I gave the the example of um, of uh, uh, software developers uh, um, having uh, not as much access to the production environment as one example of cultural change. But another is uh, ensuring that the entire company is trained on security awareness, um, that they're not uh, clicking on links and in, in emails that they. Uh, yeah. that they don't know. And this is called phishing, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, providing the training um, for everyone to ensure that they understand uh, the uh, confidential nature of some of the data that they may be handling. Now, again, it depends on the industry. You know, if you're in healthcare, um, if you're doing credit card transactions, um, if you uh, are in, in financial uh, services, um, there are some pretty heavy fines uh, related to to breaches in those industries. So mm-hmm. make sure your people are trained. Yeah. When it comes to training, do you see that's a common theme with customers or a lot of companies doing internal training or is, do you think that's a, it's a gap? You know, um, I, I think more and more companies are, are um, uh, adding training um, as mm-hmm. part of their employee onboarding. Um, a lot of it is because of of the the uh, the phishing that goes on. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know pretty common. You read about it um, uh, on, on the front page of the Wall Street Journal pretty often. Um, I would say um, uh, I think the, the the biggest breach threat is probably through um, phishing um, and and making sure that, that people are. Um, aware of of uh, that uh, that threat is really important. Um, one way to to make them aware is to actually um, do your own phishing tests. So mm. um, there are platforms out there that will um, email the the entire company uh, a uh, the same email 
um, and it will be a fishing expedition and um, there will be some pretty obvious, uh, <laughs> maybe not so obvious uh, um, things that uh, you should look for. And, yeah. and uh, very often you know, people will just click on that link anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, it's a way of measuring not only, you know, who, <laughs> but how many yeah. um, people are, are still taking the bait, so to speak. Um, and then um, that helps you inform how much retraining you need to do. Yeah. You don't want to be the person clicking that, huh? You, uh, we used to have a wall of shame, but uh, <laughs> we're not allowed to do that. That's <laughs> uh, funny. I was like, I don't know if I'd, I'd probably, they'd probably get me on that. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm smart enough not to click, but you never know. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Do you ever feel like you have to justify an ROI, to, so to speak, on investing in security, or, or do most companies you work with understand the inherent value? Yeah. Well, you know, every, every cost needs to be justified, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, and it's, Kind of difficult to put a you know an actual return on investment number on a security program, but again, depending on the industry, you know, a company can. Uh, it's pretty obvious, you know, what the cost can be regarding you know loss of revenue because of a breach, um, damage to the brand because of a breach. Um, there are also financial penalties uh, for uh, for breaches. Um, you know the. The uh, healthcare industry with uh, with HIPAA um, mm-hmm. clients is a really good example of that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you can you can be fined in the millions of dollars, um, mm. more so if it's negligence, uh, mm. and so that you know obviously hits the bottom line. Uh, but more importantly, it also kind of limits your ability to acquire new customers if you've had repeated breaches, because uh, there's a level of trust that needs to be established. Um, and uh, some damage to the brand, and and some some companies will, you know, will leave if you've if you've had uh, uh, multiple breaches. Um, so um, that's that's part of the part of the justification is uh, kind of uh, you you need to be you need to be secure <laughs> to be in business. Yeah. Uh, a lot of companies uh, now, if they're looking for a service provider, um, they will ask for. Um, certain types of certifications that that prove that the service provider has a sound security program, that they've done periodic vulnerability tests and penetration tests, um, and it's you no know, really due diligence or what we call vendor due diligence when you take on a third party. Um, so that's that's becoming more and more important, and certainly you know private equity companies uh, to protect their investments and also to create value. Um, in the company that they've invested in uh, are becoming much more savvy when it comes to the importance of um, of security programs um, in terms of value creation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, a, a question I wasn't planning on asking, but I think it might be good to talk about. Um, you know, you sent out a note earlier around the first federal privacy act for the U.S. Yeah. And so, it might be helpful. I mean, first off, what is that? And, and two, why is, why is that important? Well, so the, the, one of the first privacy acts that were, was enacted um, is a GDPR. And that was a privacy act in, in the UK that, that was enacted a few years ago. Um, and it, it is a, a consumer privacy um, act. So it, it, uh, um, it is uh, uh, put in place to protect the privacy of, of consumers um, mm-hmm. and how their data is used, 
um, whether or not they have kind of you know access to how that data is used, the also the ability to be forgotten, um, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and California came up with uh, um, theirs. The, it's called the CCPA, um, the California Consumer Privacy Act. Very similar, some differences, but very similar. The state of Virginia just recently enacted theirs, and um, so the um, the uh, Federal Communications Administration uh, will be charged with um, ensuring uh, that the, that we have a national program around privacy and security. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not a law yet. Um, it is a bill um, that uh, um, is you know, currently uh, being brought um, brought up. Um, it will be you know after it is passed. Um, the, the way the bill currently reads is that it will be enforced one year after. Um, and it does provide a fairly stringent requirement around audit. Mm-hmm. So um, companies that have um, personally identifiable information, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if they have over, I believe, 5,000 records they will um, of, of personally identifiable information, then they will have to be audited yearly. Mm. Um, and they will um, the audit will be focused on controls regarding privacy of information, security of that information, and how the data is used. Um, so we're still kind of looking at the bill, trying to uh, determine exactly what controls are going to be mm-hmm. you know, most related to that bill, so we can ensure that um, we add that to our security um, uh, survey, if you will. You know, when we do a technical due diligence on a company mm-hmm. or we do a security assessment on a company that is you know clearly going to be top of mind um, when that bill is enacted yeah maybe when that when it is enacted when we come back to this and double click and, and dig a little deeper and how companies should be thinking about this if it's yeah. Gonna, yeah that'd be a good topic to talk it's, it's, it's about time because you know mm-hmm. if the federal government doesn't act then it's up to the state governments to act and then mm-hmm. you have you know, you have dozens of of uh, somewhat different um, uh, uh, compliance uh, issues that you have to you have to adhere to. And for you know companies that are uh, are you know large companies that that are you know, uh, do business in every state or clearly global companies, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of of confusion. So the federal government uh, enacting this bill, you know, this bill will, will very likely supersede all the state bills mm-hmm. uh, and will hopefully be probably stronger than yeah. the state bills, especially with the audit clause, I think is a great, a great move. Nice. And long overdue. Mm-hmm. Good, 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 good. Okay. Well, the last question I have for you, Rocky, and, and this is probably more of a broad question, but, you know, with your many years experience and your knowledge and your wisdom, you know, we talked about a number of different things today, but if 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 our listeners were to take away a few things, like what are some things technology leaders can be doing today um, to either assess and mitigate security risks or over either or optimize their security program overall? Are there three things that you think on that are, are super important to think about, or um, is that question just too broad to answer? In in uh, because every scenario is different. No, I, th- I think you know every scenario is different, but there are some kind of a, a few rules that apply. You know, one is you're you're never done, right? So you are constantly yes. measuring mm-hmm. uh, and looking at the business that you're in. Um, and and for instance, you know, you could be 
in one line of business and through an acquisition, now you're suddenly, you, you have a new line of business. So you mm-hmm. always have to be measuring uh, and, and, and looking at, at, uh, at your security maturity. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Um, another um, uh, thing um, I, I think is really important is, you know, as you're measuring, you're not only measuring your maturity, but you're understanding the risk um, of, of controls that maybe aren't as strong as they need to be. Um, and that risk can come in the form of the probability of a threat of a breach, mm-hmm. the likelihood um, and then if that breach is in place, are you, uh, or if the breach happens, are you equipped to, uh, to identify um, that you've had a breach? Mm-hmm. And then what is your response to that breach? Um, and then what's the impact um, of, of the risk of that weak control um, from a financial point of view? What's the impact on revenue? What's the impact on brand? And once you've identified those things, and we call this a risk register, once you identify those things, it becomes kind of a self-prioritizing list of of items that you need to uh, to pay attention to, to uh, mm-hmm. risks that you need to remediate. Um, and then the other is to uh, 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 c- continue to keep your um, entire company aware of the ongoing security um, risks in general. So continuing uh, training, having a yearly training plan, um, in place, um, ensuring that you know when you onboard new employees, um, that um, they take the security um, uh, training before you're, you give them the credentials mm-hmm. to log into your network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those, I think, those are the the big three things I would really focus on. Very good. Very good. Well, that's been a super helpful, Rocky, and this conversation has been been awesome. Um, and um, I think. Our, our listeners will take a lot of value from this, and and I think we'll we'll definitely be talking again uh, on a on a future episode as we hone on specific topics. But any any last words, any final things you want to add? No. Um, uh, first of all, thank you for uh, um, for inviting me. Really Absolutely, appreciate it. Rocky. And um, uh, and I and I think the you know the last thing I would add is that I'm seeing more and more um, uh, private equity companies. Um, be, be, you know, hiring their own chief information security mm-hmm. officer and ensuring that that the their entire portfolio of companies has you know a reasonable security program in place and taking a kind of a portfolio view mm. of security maturity and I see that as a really a, a positive um, uh, addition to kind of the continuum of value creation for private equity companies as they as they um, grow their companies and, and prepare them for exit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Well, Rocky, again, thank you for, for being here and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll look to talk to you soon. My pleasure, Jeff. And uh, thanks again for the invitation. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creating Value Beyond the Deal. If you found value in this episode, would really appreciate for you to share and pass along. Would also love to get your feedback and recommendations for topics on future episodes. Talk to you next time. And until then, be great.